You're listening to Sprout Money's Monthly Wrap-Up with Craig Hemke. Well, hello again from Sprout Money News at SproutMoney.com. This is the monthly wrap-up for the month of February 2023. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us is my old friend, David Morgan of The Morgan Report. David, nice to see you. Well, Craig, it's good to see you as well. Here we are. It's February the 28th. We are 16.66% through the year of 2023 already. And what a crazy year, up and then down. I think most silver stackers probably feel the way you and I do, and that is, hey, it's always a good time to be adding to your stack. Uh, You'll buy some high, you'll buy some low, and Sprott Money can certainly help you with that. It's one of those dealers you should always check anytime you're in the market for physical precious metal. Just go to SprottMoney.com. You'll find all kinds of deals there on bullion and coins and rounds, but also on storage. If you want to talk to somebody, give them a call at 888-861-0775. And of course, uh, at a minimum, give them a like or a subscribe on whichever channel you're watching this podcast. That helps them cast a wider net, get the information out as well. David, uh, why don't you start us off by telling us about the Morgan Report, how long you've been doing it, and where people can find it. Well, I've been doing it since about 1999. The website's themorganreport.com. It's a uh, independent financial newsletter covering basically the precious metals and all the resources. We usually uh, dive deep into the equity side. And then on the site, themorganreport.com, we have a free uh, e-letter that goes out to your personal email. Usually send out about three times a week. And it... uh, is worth it because we give uh, specials from time to time. Once in a while, we'll get a bullion dealer that wants to run a special, we'll put that out. So it's just a good information source. And I do the weekly perspective, one man, one mic. Every Friday or Saturday, I just review the financial markets in general and touch on the metals almost every time. So it's uh, it's a good free service, in my opinion. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and I, you know, and I, I think, um, People have heard me say, whether it's in these Sprott Money videos or in some of the times I've been interviewed so far this year, I just think this year is extraordinarily important for investors to get as many independent and objective sources of analysis as they can find. Uh, If you just swallow whole, you know, the tyranny of the headlines every day from mainstream media, you're going to be caught wrong-footed and frankly misled. So you need to find uh, objective independent sources. And and uh, I, for one, can vouch for the Morgan Report. Uh, I think the value is far beyond what you charge, David. So I encourage everybody to go check it out. Um, my friend, it, this has been a crazy month and a, an interesting volatile start of the year. You know, we began February coming out of the January FOMC meeting. Powell was talking about being data dependent, and maybe one more rate hike. Uh, we end February, people thinking there's going to be three more rate hikes. You know, we had all this economic data along the way uh gold's back to about unchanged on the year but man silver could never really catch a sustained bid in january and it's fallen 10 15 percent here in february uh what do you make of the action so far this year and then relative to you know this big old driver of the fed um do whether they go two or three more rate hikes does it really even matter in the long run well, I'm going to address the second question first, Craig. I mean, does it really matter? Somewhat. I read a bank analyst that I thought actually was pretty good. Most of them I don't agree with totally. 
And he said you'd have to get the uh, federal funds rate to about 8% to do any good. And that uh, concurs with my thinking that you have to get the you know yield up to where the real inflation rate is, which is purportedly six and a half, seven percent. So if we do two, three, four more, there will be knee jerk reactions. It's happened almost every time. And the market says, oh, interest rates are going up, gold bad, gold sells off, silver follows. And but that's usually temporary because the truth is, unless you get the yield above the true inflation rate is meaningless. You're still in a negative yield situation. So that's question number one. Question number two is frustrating. You know, I hate to use the word over and over, but it is. I mean, go back a year, silver double topped at 26. Last February, near the end of February, we're at a $26 silver price, dropped down to 24.50 or so, came right back to 26. And then from there, it carved out several month cup and handle formation. So I'm looking at this knowing that the cup and handle is the most powerful formation you can have in the commodities or stock. And all we have to do is break above the handle to be on our way. And lots of people that are really good in the sector, and I won't name them, but I don't know who I'm talking about. And a lot of them are saying we're going up, we're going up, we're going up. And, you know, from my vast experience, I know that the market always knows more than me. So I'm not going to say it's going up or down until that handle is broken. If it's broken to the upside, we're going up. If it's broken to the downside, we're going down. So from about the 2nd of February, Craig, to right now, we went from the 24 level down to, you know, 21 or so. And it's, as you said, falling off a cliff. So it's discouraging. Does it mean the bull market's over? No. Does it mean you should you know, sell your stack of silver at a loss? No. Does it mean you have to have more patience? Yes. Does it frustrate you? Yes. But again, I think if the public at large, or let me say that I'd love to see the public at large. I'd love to see everybody in the metals market. But for the very few that are in the metals market, as long as you approach it from a dollar cost average basis, a long-term view, and don't over-invest or over-leverage. You really should be able to take these swings uh, and not have a big you know, problem with it. Yeah, it's discouraging, but it's part of the process. What do you think about where this all heads? You mentioned you know, the Fed wanting to or needing to get the Fed funds rate up above the rate of inflation. Um, if inflation begins to come down, you know, we start taking off some of the the soaring months of the first half of last year and replacing them with the months of first half of this year. And you get to the point where Fed funds is above maybe that year over year inflation. And then the economy begins to demonstrably slow. And then we're heading into an election year. Um, do you think the Fed maybe buckles a little quicker than, than what is commonly perceived to be happening? Well, that is the consensus view. I take a different view. I think that the Fed is going to continue to ratchet up until one of two things. The system breaks and or at the same time, they implement a new system. And the new system is in work. And we all know what it looks like in theory. And that's, you know, a central bank digital currency. And of course, the central bankers, you know, the bankers really don't want this because if you go direct to the Fed, you don't need a bank. You know, you're going directly to them. So who needs an investment bank anymore or whatever? So there's a lot of, I'm sure, consternation, that's a fancy word, going on at the high levels about what the new system is going to look like. 
the Fed is defending the dollar as a reserve currency, uh, the currency of last resort, and that's very much, as I've overstated, but the extra pyramid. I mean, when the liquidity squeeze happens, which it's happening as we speak, you go to safer and safer and safer places to, to stop your money and or your currency. And the currency of the U.S. dollar is the strongest and will remain so until the very end. Now, once the faith in the dollar is gone or waning rapidly, that's when the move to gold goes in earnest. Now, the smart money gets there early. And that's what's been happening in the central banks, as you know, Craig, because they've really loaded up this last year. And of course, silver, we'd love to see go along with it, but the banks haven't considered silver to be a monetary asset since you know the crime of 1873. Mm-hmm. So, but that doesn't mean that people can't take the power back. It's just that we don't have enough, in my opinion, educated people about the true nature of a fiat money system and what the repercussions are. But once it happens, everyone will have learned the lesson. Yeah. David, I'd, I'd like to spend the rest of our time uh, today talking about silver because obviously, I mean, you followed it. I mean, you've told me the stories before about buying silver when you were a teenager, right? <laughs> so uh, you've earned that title of a silver guru. Um, let's discuss it for the in the context of 2023 and even into next year as a commodity, not, not even so much a monetary metal, but as a commodity. Uh, first, what do you make of that report from the Silver Institute that you know came out last year and was actually modified back in January, showing such a significant supply deficit. Is that is it is that something that's been happening and is just getting noticed, or is that you know a new phenomenon that is in the present and may continue? Uh, I'll try to be brief. I mean, there was a true deficit from 1990 till 2005, and we ate up 1.5 billion ounces of above-ground stockpile. Since 2006 to present, the above-ground stockpile has been building. However, the deficit takes into account what investment silver has put you know, in vaults, let's say, and that is a deficit. I think it's very large, you know, 200 million approximately. I think mm-hmm. there's two reasons for that. One is industrial demand continues to increase even in you know recessionary years. It seems to maybe flatten out slightly. Solar is taking so much more than uh, I would say so much more. It's taking more than what's reported. I just um, wrote an article for Prospector News on uh, Chen Lin's uh, study of what's going on in the solar panel market and why. It's inaccurately reported. It's far greater than what's reported by either Metals Focus or the Silver Institute. So that's part of it as well. And on the industrial side, I didn't ask this question, but I've been asked this in the past. What would silver sell for if it was an industrial commodity only? The answer is no one knows. But if you look at something like copper, uh, which was a monetary metal at one time, but hasn't been for a very long time, you could... uh, make the case that it would sell for a good margin above the total sustaining costs, which right now is round numbers, 20 bucks. It's really more than that because most of the ASIC all in sustaining costs is not accurately reported because if you really study it, you'll find that taxes are usually left out of that number. And of course they have to be paid by these miners. So you've got to add it back in, but you know, rule of thumb 20, and to really have a mine that's viable, that you can recycle your 
cash flow back into exploration and continue the business because all mines end in failure. You mine them, mine them out. You really need two, two X. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but we have it in a special report at the Morgan Report called Archie's Rule. And I learned it from none other than Dr. Peter McGaugh. So you'd have like a $40, $50 silver price in today's, you know, fiat system. And of course, 50 today is a far cry in value from what 50 was in 1980. But it's the monetary demand that drives the market and will continue to do so. And that's when we could get in the triple digit or beyond. Mm. But it's got to be a big buying pressure. I think I'm pretty, you know, I'm almost certain it will happen. But taking my hits, probably deservedly so, that, well, when and it didn't happen. And I've been holding, you know, $30 silver since, you know, 2011. And, you know, and on and on it goes. And you've been there, too, because you've been uh, riding right along that whole train. At least I had a bit of an advantage on you. I got to go from... <laughs> 2000 to 2011, when gold and silver were like the hit parade of all time. And you right. walked into these shows and you had rock star status. So I did see the upside for almost a decade, Craig. And of course, it's been pretty iffy from that point till now. What? Let's explore that copper thing a little bit more, though, too, David. Because um, copper has been strong. In fact, as we record this on the 28th of February, you know, silver broke down earlier this month through its 50-day moving average and a couple of weeks ago through its 200-day moving average. But coming out of the lows last year, copper it only briefly dipped below the, its own 50-day moving average last Friday. And as we record this on Tuesday the 28th, it's back above. So copper seems to be in a pretty steady uptrend. And there are some very interesting uh, charts I've seen, at least, of global copper stockpiles that are uh, dwindling. And, you know, yeah, that report oh, what, early last month about Trafigura. Do I pronounce that one right? Um, Trafigura. Trafigura. <laughs> they're, they're removing a lot of copper from the LME because they want to make sure they have copper to deliver against some forward contracts here in the first half of the year. If, independent of silver, and we can talk about silver supplies, you know, and, and the Silver Institute, but even independent of that, if copper were to continue to go up this year, David, and kind of break out of its own range, where silver's been in a range between 22 and 28, silver's between about, or copper's been between about four and 480, can copper lend strength to silver? Could silver just kind of, would that have been your experience in the past that if copper gets charging forward, could silver just kind of tag along? Well, we call it Dr. Copper because it's really probably the soundest way of looking at the whole commodity sector as far as if you're in a growth phase or not. And with it showing the strength it has, there's either growth going on in the economy, which I doubt, I think the global economy is pretty much contracting, but technology shifts. And that's what yeah. the copper story is telling us is that there's more demand because there's a technological shift coming in that metal. And so I do think that it's being, uh, it's very similar to silver from the aspect of supply demand and um you know the availability let's say so there's two answers one if copper takes off would it you know impact the silver price the answer is yes the other part of it is 25 percent of the silver market is a result of copper mining. so if copper mining doubled as a thought experiment you would have double the amount of byproducts roughly speaking uh, so there's that factor as well 
But I want to go one step further, Craig, and that is what uh, I put in the Morgan Report a few months ago. And it had to do with the, again, thought experiment, theoretical. We're going away from petrochemicals. Hydrocarbons are done. We're all electric. And the math on this is phenomenal. In order to get enough copper to go all electric and have no hydrocarbons in the mix, you have to have something like 3,000 years of mining of copper at the 2019 uh, production rate. It's not going to happen. Right. So where does it come from, David? <laughs> yeah, I can't. I mean, first of all, just to get on par with the next planned phase, you're going to dig up about 10 times more of the earth than you do now. So most of the people that are on the, let's say, electric bandwagon that don't understand economics think that, yeah, yeah, let's just go electric. Let's be clean. Let's yeah. be you know, prudent and all that. And then you tell them, well, you want to dig up 10 times the amount of, uh, you know, you want 10 times the amount of mining than you have now. Oh, no, we don't want any mining. We just want to go all electric. Well, you can't have it both ways. Right, right. In the meantime, they'll try, I would imagine, to keep going forward, which would and, and begin with mean higher copper prices and dwindling above ground supply until they can bring on more uh, mine supply. Um, I, that, I guess, relates then back to the final thing I wanted to ask you about. Uh, and it gets back to silver and mine supply and miners. Um, man, they've just been awful. Uh, this month of February, I think the SILJ is down about 20%. Uh, a lot of individual miners have had a tough time for their own individual reasons. But you mentioned that all in sustaining costs for a lot of these silver miners is very close to what the current uh, price is. And you've got inflation, you know, eating away at their margins and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I a pretty bearish picture. What, what can, you know, for the folks that still own silver mining shares, what can they hang their hat on? What would be the thing that would kind of kick uh, the shares in the fanny and get some uh, some interest in them again and get prices moving higher? Well, obviously, silver would have to move higher. And the shares are pretty good at being a forecaster. Uh, if you see the shares take off and the metals prices are not doing much, they're usually forecasting that the metals are going to take off. And the converse is true as well. If you see the shares fall precipitously, um, it's an indicator that the price of the metal is coming down. You look at the Super 7, which is a chart from uh, Nick Laird, my friend in Australia. It's pretty much the top seven silver companies. So he combines them all and makes a chart. It was actually in an uptrend from like October, November, December. In fact, even further than that, I think it was about four months. And then, as you said, Craig, it just fell off the wagon. And, you know, I've upset, you know, readers or whatever. I mean, and... Depends what you're at. It, you know, it depends, one, when you got in. I mean, some of these stocks I got in so early, they're still at a pretty good profit. But who wants to see any, you know, 20% move down? No one, especially as short a time as it's taken place. I would say, again, as long as you're not overweighted the sector. And the other part is, you know, there's buying opportunities always. What I've done or suggested to our readers is let the market tell you what to do. So if you do that, psychologically, you're a lot better off because most people expect, even the pros, some of the pros, when you buy, they expect the stock to start going up the next day. And that's just not how the market works. So if you do what I teach, you put a horizontal line, which is far better than the uh, channel formations that most people teach. And it's got to make it through that 
that barrier. So for example, if silver is going to go down to 18, let's say, just as an example, <clears throat> if I put a buy-in at say 20, let's just say it's below 20, it have to be below it. And I think that's about as low as it's going to go. And I say, okay, my horizontal is 20. It's at 1980 right now. It's got to go, the market itself, not what I say, the market has to do this. It has to go above 20. It has to be on average or above average volume. And it must maintain it for three days in a row. And once those markers are hit, you have about an 80, 85% chance the trend will continue. Now, let's say that 20 is my line and it goes down to 18. Well, first of all, you've been saved from making a loss because you're not buying yet. It hasn't made that 20 marker. But if it did do that, I might adjust the line down to say 19, Craig. But I'm making the market tell me what to do rather than me tell the market what to do. Right. And that works out pretty well. Now that's on the trading side. On the investing side, which is most of my you know followers, it's like buy the big companies. I know that you know some of these guys are really good at the, at the smaller companies, and that's fine. And we sprinkle the portfolio to some of those. But if you want good solid gains, like I gave this example the other day, if you bought gold at the top of the market in September of 2011, at roughly 2,000 an ounce, you wouldn't be even today. Yeah. But if you bought my top royalty company at $50 an ounce back then, it's worth 150. Yeah. So you're in the right gold stock. You just tripled your money. That's like gold going from 2,000 to 6,000. So there's pundits out there that'll tell you, you know, gold outperforms the stocks. Well, it depends what base you're using. If you're using the juniors, yeah. Uh, if you're using even the mid-tiers, probably. But if you know how to pick the stocks, and, you know, it's it's almost boring to pick big companies that just keep putting out profits. But you know what? Makes your bank account look better. And all of this and more, I'm sure, is discussed at the Morgan Report. If somebody's looking for a good silver miner, I bet they can probably find one there too, right? And there's more than that. I mean, we're looking at a lithium company right now. I was... Mm. On the uranium story early, but we've yeah. got a couple of big winners there. One pays a huge dividend. Um, look at that technology company. It's kind of blowing up. It was my favorite spec. I wish I never said that. but uh, It's not doing well, but the technology is still there and it's still alive. Um, but, you know, I, I cover the spectrum as best I can. And uh, I've got it right more than wrong. But anyone that tells you they never missed it or get it right every time or call the top each and every time and get the bottom every time run from that yeah. yeah it's like the the guy on the radio that tells you you know he hits every single football game right yeah probably not um david give everybody that website again where do they find and subscribe to the morgan report just go to the morganreport.com there's a little landing page just put in your first name and an email it's on an autoresponder it'll ask you to verify that's a valid email and you and it's the Morgan Report. No hyphens, no dots, no nothing. Right. The Morgan Report.com. Yep. Yeah. Please, everybody go check it out. Again, I just, this is so important uh, that you get some independent, objective help uh, as we go through this year. And uh, David's been doing this a long time. And I've been talking to you for a long time today, David. So we probably better move to wrap this up. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Um, as always, it's been very, very valuable. Well, thank you, Craig. I appreciate having you having me. And from all of us here at Sprott Money News, it's SprottMoney.com. Thank you for watching. We'll have more content for you in March.